Today's Old Testament reading comes from Micah 7, 18 to 19. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all iniquities into the depth of the sea. This is the word of the Lord. Guten Morgen, meine Damen und Herren. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Hope that you are great today. Let me pray for us as we begin. Lord Jesus, thank you for the gift of music. Lord, thank you for the gift of friends. Lord, thank you for the gift of community. Lord, we are grateful for this day that you have given us, another day of life. Lord, uh, we are grateful for you. We love you. In the name of Christ, amen. So sometimes I lose things. Anybody else? You lose things? Am I the only one? Okay, we're going to participate today. We're going to do a little participate. Anybody else lose things? Me, there's, oh my goodness, a bunch of us lose things. What do you lose? You ever lose your keys? Keys, yeah. Lose your glasses? Lose your favorite book? Maybe lose your car? My brother-in-law lost his car. I mean, like, literally lost his car. Uh, wasn't a wreck. He lost his car. Six months later, he found it when he was out on a job. Literally, after he had gotten the insurance check and everything. So we lose all kinds of things, don't we? That is a true story, by the way. Um, wasn't me, it was him. Uh, we lose things sometimes, don't we? In my house, uh, we have an answer for losing things. Uh, it's called Christy Martin, my beautiful wife. Um, so I've lost so many things. Uh, finally, one day I said, where are my glasses? And I'm 100% sure that my dog took the glasses. And she goes, why do you always blame the dog? Because I didn't lose my glasses. And she said, look, I'll find your glasses on one condition. What's the condition? She says, I get a new title. What's your new title? The finder of all things. I go, what? The finder of all things. Say it. I go, what? She said, say it. And I said, okay, Christy, the finder of all things. 30 seconds later, I have my glasses in my hands. So that's what I do now. I just say, oh, great finder of all things. Where are my keys? Where is my book? Where are my glasses? I don't know how she does it. But she does it. Yes, you're nodding because you've been there, right? You want the title, don't you? I don't blame you. Hey, believe me, take the title. Ladies, a lot of you are in your minds going, oh yeah, I am the finder of all things. Any parents out there? Anybody a parent? Yeah, there's a few of you. You are the finder of all things, right? It is amazing what you can lose. I love the term lost and found. Why don't they just call it lost? Because it's not found yet, right? Anyway, that's, we diverge. Jesus God, he understands we lose things. In fact, Jesus tells the three parables of the lost, and he, and, he, and he discusses the lost sheep. You mean shepherds lose sheep? Apparently so. He talks about the parable of the lost coin, uh, the woman who had ten coins, but she loses one, and she looks frantically for the one because it would be devastating to her economy to lose the coin. And Jesus also tells the parable of the lost son. I'm not sure, but if I were to title this parable, 
I think I might title it the parable of the lost sons, plural. Or maybe the parable of the forgiveness of the father. We're going to look at Luke chapter 15 today. Oh, as a gift to you, I'm starting my timer. So sorry. They told me I had an hour and 20 minutes. I don't believe them. So, there we go. It's ticking. Now we're going to look at uh, chapter 15. We're actually going to start in verses um, 11. And we're going to look at the parable of the lost sons. Now, a parable is a fictional story that typically has a moral to the story, a point. And Jesus is telling a parable, a story with a moral. And he has a point. And we'll talk about the point in a second. But why does Jesus tell these three parables? Let me set the scene for you. You'll see in the verse, first three verses, by the way, yes, I'm going back. But we're going to look at the parable of the lost son. We see Jesus with a crowd around him. He often has a crowd around him, doesn't he? Uh, he has the curious. Uh, he, ha- he has the interested. He has those who hate him. And he has those who love him. But everybody wants to hear, what's Jesus going to say next? What is Jesus going to do? Well, Jesus has a crowd around him. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders are often frustrated that the crowd is around Jesus. And what they're really frustrated by are the people that are around Jesus. The tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This is the New Living Translation. Did you hear that? The tax collectors, not popular people, and other notorious sinners would gather around Jesus. I love that terminology. Can I tell you something? I am broken. I was a notorious sinner until I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Still a sinner. Hopefully not, as near, not nearly as notorious as I once was. So tax collectors, they're their own crowd, and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. And this is what the Pharisees would say. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people. And they went on to say, he even eats with them. Can you believe it? He shares meals with broken, ugly dregs of society. The people that were pushed away, Jesus went to them. Jesus entered their world. Jesus was for the broken and the lost in hopes that they would be found. My prayer for us today is that we would be for the broken and the lost in hopes that they would be found. So Jesus hears the Pharisees and the religious teachers and he wants to make a point about the condition of their heart. And he tells the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin. Then he goes on to the lost sons. And these parables are, a, are an affront to the Pharisees and the religious leaders, right? You've you got to love Jesus. He is the master communicator. You have to love the way he tells a story. And he does it again. And the moral to his story, that hopefully you'll see in this text, is that you can always come home. Do you understand what I'm saying? And by the way, if you don't hear anything else today, I'll say it again, probably three or four times. You can always come home. Where is home? It's the kingdom of God. Where is the door to that home? It's through the person of Jesus Christ in a relationship with him. 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. How do you get there? How do you find the door? You turn your face to God. You turn your face to God. So to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them the story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. Did you hear that? The younger son says, give me the money you owe me. When you die, I'll get an inheritance. I want it now. Give me what you owe me now. And unbelievably, the father agreed to divide his wealth between the sons. He has two sons. And in the culture at that time, the older son would get two-thirds of the wealth. The younger son, the second son, would get one-third of the wealth. Now, I don't know if you understand what just happened, but the son just hurt the father. He hurt him economically, because how is he, you know, not a lot of, not a lot of spark houses out there, not a lot of ATM machines or bankomats, not a lot of people just spitting out cash out of machines. So we had to liquidate part of the farm, the ranch, uh, the house, the estate, so that the, so that the father could give the younger son his portion. So he liquidates part of the estate, and he gives the son the money in gold or cash or whatever form of of money they would have. And the son hurts the father economically. He takes a third of his money. But he also shames the father socially. You see, most families, most fathers would say no. In fact, this was so significant that the son could have been stoned to death. But the father acts with kindness and mercy, despite that he is shamed socially, and that he is hurt economically. He gives the money to his son, and he lets him go. I cannot imagine or fully comprehend the pain that the father goes through as he watches his son go his own way. You see, we we may lose sheep, we may lose coins, we may lose keys, we may lose glasses, but sometimes our children go their own way. Um, please don't raise your hand for this, but if you're a parent, have you had a child go his own way? Have you had a daughter go her own way? I have four kids. Let me be clear. I have four adult children. It is not always well with all four children. I don't know that that's possible. Sometimes children go their own way. So the son, in in essence, looks at his father and he says, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead. Just give me my money. Now, isn't it fascinating that the son, he has access to everything he wants. You know, in modern times, does he need a car? He could have a car. Do you need a new horse? You could have a horse. Do you need a new computer? You could have a new, new computer. He has everything accessible to him. What more does he want? He wants to go his own way. He doesn't, see the story isn't about money. The story is about what he believes his freedom should be. So he puts the money in his pockets and he leaves his father and he goes his own way. See, this is a great metaphor for our relationship with God. He turns his back on the father 
just as human beings turn their back on God. Hmm. Well, a few days later, the younger son packs all of his belongings and he moved to a distant land, a far, far off place. And there he wasted all his money on wild living. We can only imagine what kind of wild living this is. And we don't know how long it is. Is is it six days, six months, six years? I don't know. But I tell you, it's long enough for him to waste all of his money. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land. And he began to starve. Not so much fun anymore, is it? My own way. It's not working out so well. It's not meeting his expectations. It's not everything he thought it would be. He's hungry. He's alone. He's out of money. No one knocking on his door. He doesn't even have a door. He's so hungry, he finally persuades a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into the fields to feed his pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. He wanted to eat the pig food, but no one gave him anything. See, this is a metaphor for a condition called sin. We go our own way. We turn our back on God, the Father. We choose our own direction. And this is what the younger son has done. And he's experiencing the brokenness of his decision. He went his own way. And things did not work according to his expectations. You see, the promises of sin are clear. If we embrace our sin, and by the way, sin unchecked through a personal relationship with Jesus, sin unchecked has no bounds. It woos us and it calls us, yearns for us, is a siren in the dark, beckoning our attention. And sin promises us freedom, but instead we find slavery. It promises us success, but we find failure. Promises life, but we find death. Romans 6.23 the wages of sin is death. He promises us joy, but we find heartache. The younger son thought he'd find himself, but instead he lost himself. You see, it never works out when we go our own way, when we turn our back on God. And by the way, <clears throat> this is a message for the unbeliever. It's also a message for the believer, the insiders. Sometimes even us as insiders, we choose to go our own way, right? Or maybe uh, we're just at a lukewarm place right now. Maybe we just showed up this morning because it's on our checklist. And in fact, we, uh, we have turned away from God. We have gone our own way. Like the younger son. But then something mystical, incredible, beautiful Glorious happens. I have prayed this prayer. Oh Lord, let him come to his senses, please. Let him come to his senses before the pain is insurmountable. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, 
at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am, dying of hunger. I'm starving. I've got a plan. This is what I will do. I will go home to my father and I'll say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and I've sinned against you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please, let me be a hired servant in your home. Did you hear this? He is broken. He is starving. There's no friends, no family, no help, pain. He's at his lowest point. But something mystical happens. He actually turns back to the Father. See, the moment didn't happen when they meet on the road when he comes home. It happens now. And the amazing thing is that God offers us grace even before we repent, even before we turn back to him. He always welcomes us home. What did you do last week that you should not have done? Can I give you good news? You can always come back home. You can come back home. And just to be as transparent as I can, I have felt that pain, that moment of, oh, I should not have done that. I should not have said that. I should not have thought that. And realize at that moment, I've turned my back on God. And for a moment, I think, oh, I can't turn back around. I can't face God. Oh, he doesn't want me back. Not after what I did. Not what after I said. Look at me. But I've got to let you in on the greatest secret ever. Anybody, anytime, anywhere is welcome home. You can always come back home. God the Father longs for us to come back home. So he gets a speech in his mind and he returns home to his father. And all the way through the journey, he's rehearsing this speech. Father, I've sinned against you in heaven. I, I don't even deserve, oh man, what am I supposed to say? I, no, oh, I've sinned against you in heaven. Father, I don't deserve to be your son. Could I please just be a servant in your house? And while he is still a long way off, his father sees him. And, and if you can imagine, this is just in my mind, but let me help you paint the picture that ever since the son left, the father every evening sits on the front porch in his rocking chair, and off in the distance he sees a horizon. And there's a winding dirt road that goes up to the horizon. And every day, every evening, as the sun sets behind the hill, he hopes that his son will crest that horizon. But he never does. But every night, every evening, the father waits. The father waits. And something about that waiting, something about that knowing for the son, that maybe, just maybe, my father would take me back, moves him to action. And as he crests over the hill, the father sees him. He sees the outline of this shape. And he says, could it be? Could it be my boy? Could it be my son coming home to me? No, it's been too long. There's no way. But he looks again and he says, he walks like my son. He's shaped kind of like my son. Could it be? And then he realizes with his old eyes, once he's close enough, that it is my son. And then the father does the craziest thing that an old man in that culture could ever do. 
He ran to his son and he embraced him and he kissed him. Did you hear me say earlier that grace comes before repentance? He doesn't wait for the speech. He doesn't care who's watching. He doesn't care what you're thinking. He says, it is my son. He's been lost. I found him and I will run to him and I will embrace him. I will pull up my robes, my loincloth, and I will sprint to him. You see, God runs to us. Our Father runs to us. He celebrates us. In that culture in that time, no old man of wealth would ever pick up his robes and run. It was shameful. No shame for him. As a father, that's the kind of father I want to be. And he runs to him, and before the son can say anything, he hugs him and he kisses him, and then the son leans back from him, he's overwhelmed, and he says, Father, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to the servants, he ignores the speech, he says, Quick, quick, bring the finest robe for my son. Bring the, my ring and put it on his finger. Put sandals on his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast right now, tonight. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And the party began. (laughs) The party began. He gives more to the son than the son could ever imagine. Remember, the son has squandered a third of his wealth. It's all gone. And he brings him the finest robe, which gives him his station in society. He puts a ring on his finger, which is the calling card, the credit card, if you will. He gave him a visa card and put it in his hand and said, welcome home. He put sandals on his feet when servants didn't have sandals. The father gave his son the very best. Rembrandt uh, has a great painting, um, The Return of the Prodigal. If you haven't seen it, take a look at it. Um, You're going to have to expand it on your screen because there are multiple characters in there. But It is a beautiful, beautiful painting of the son who's lost and found. He's broken. Uh, He's ragged. He's dirty. He's ugly. And the father wraps his arms around him and embraces him. The father forgives him. The father merely says, welcome home, son. Welcome home. See, the father longed for his son to come home. We are always welcome home. I don't think we always know that. We are always welcome home. And those who don't know Christ, always welcome home. If you'll just turn to the Son of God. Enter through the doorway of Jesus Christ. You can be reconciled to the Father. The Son should have been stoned to death or at least ostracized, but the Father forgave him. Timothy Keller, um, in one of his sermons, I love Tim Keller, he talks about forgiveness, but he, he talks about it in such an interesting way that forgiveness, forgiveness, is really about taking the pain. A grudge, 
Unforgiveness is about giving the pain. Do you understand what I'm saying? Anytime we forgive, we have to take some pain. And the Father, in this story, he takes the pain. Says it's okay. You squandered a third of my wealth. I just want you back. It's okay. You had wild living. It's okay. You're back home. You wished me dead. It's okay. I just want you home. My children, I just didn't know you could love a human being so much until my first daughter was born. I reflect on it and still it just literally blows my mind. How can I love a human being this much? This, this child that was created between my wife and I. And I look at her and I think, oh my goodness, she's perfect. But she's not. She's broken. And it took about two days in the middle of the night to figure out that is a sinful little girl right there. Right? And you know what I'm talking about. How do you love a child so much? And the father took the pain. Can I challenge us with something? I think God calls us to forgive. And he calls us to take the pain. Take the pain. To not bear a grudge, not to give the pain, but we take the pain. Hasn't that what, isn't that what God has done for us? He took the pain, right? On a cross. Jesus was crucified for the sin of the world. Grace abounds because God took the pain. You remember the cup? He said, oh Lord, Father, if I don't have to take this cup, take it from me. But he chose to drink from the cup. He chose the cross. He took the pain so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be reconciled to the Father. Finally, at the end of that, this beautiful story, there's a party. There's a party. But the story isn't over, right? So, so far, we've had rebellion. I wish you were dead. Give me my money. And then, we have repentance. And by the way, the word repent has a very simple meaning. It just means to change your mind. In our context, it means Turn back to the Father. Please, turn back to the Father. So we have rebellion, we have repentance, then we have rejoicing. I love that. There's a party. Unfortunately, with every party, there's a party pooper. Right, Brian? Man. (sighs) The party pooper arrives, and it's the older son. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working, and when he returned home, He heard music and dancing in the house. Did you hear that? He hears music and dancing, rollicking, laughter. It's a party. And by the way, God, the God of mercy and grace and forgiveness, is also the God of joy and peace and laughter and fun. It's okay to laugh. I tell you, laugh, laugh loud. Man, sometimes when I'm by myself, I just start dancing. Sometimes I'm caught then I go, yes, I'm really like this all the time. Not just in public. I can't help myself. Man, let's laugh. Let's enjoy life. And they're having a party. And then the sun comes in from the fields. 
and he returns home and he hears the party and he asks one of the servants, what in the world is going on? And he says, your brother is back. And he says it with joy. And he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We're celebrating. We're celebrating because of his safe return. Sounds exciting, right? But not to the older brother. You see, the older brother, he's angry. And he won't go in. He's angry and he won't go in. The older brother was angry and he wouldn't go in and his father came out and he begged him. Remember the movements that we just went through? Rebellion? Repentance? Rejoicing? Where are we now? Rebellion. We're back again. It's a terrible cycle we have, isn't it? We're back to rebellion again. Now, we don't know the end of the story, but we do know what happens now. The son, the older son, bears a grudge. He says, no, I'm not going in. No way. All these years I've slayed for you, Father, and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. You didn't let me throw a party. Yet when this son of yours, he doesn't even call him his brother. This son of yours, when he comes home, after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf? Are you kidding me? What is wrong with you, Father? What is wrong with you? Shame on you. Does it sound any different than the younger brother to you? He looks good on the outside. Doesn't look so good on the inside. And his father said to him, Look, my son, my dear son, you've always stayed with me, and everything I have is yours. You've always stayed with me. The son, the older son, has been loyal. He's been faithful. On the outside, he's done everything he's supposed to do. But on the inside, he looks a little bit like a Pharisee. He doesn't want to forgive. He doesn't want to go in. He doesn't want to rejoice. And he has some good points, doesn't he? He's been faithful. He showed up to work. He did what he was supposed to do. He did what he was told to do. He wasn't disobedient. He didn't reject his father's wishes. He was the good son. I don't think good is enough. Not even close. You know, It's fascinating how we see the good and the bad. I sometimes fear it's easier for a bad person to come to Christ than it may be for a good person to come to Christ. That's a whole other sermon in itself. We'll talk about that some other time, but think about that for a second. That'll mess your mind up. It has mine. He's been loyal. He's worked hard. And here's the crazy thing. Everything the father has now Remember, a third of his wealth was squandered. Who does the remaining two-thirds really belong to? The older brother. Anything, the ring, the robe, the sandals, the fattened calf, the older brother could argue, that's mine. But he bears a grudge, and he wants to argue, that's mine. But I don't think that's forgiveness. He chooses not to take the pain. He chooses to give the pain. You see, in God's economy, 
our Father's economy, everybody is always welcome home, including the older brother. And the father begs him, come home. It's 10 feet away. It's three meters away. Come home. He begs him, but he won't go inside. He looks good on the outside, but he's broken on the inside. See, I think there are three groups of us. We're we're insiders, those of us who know Christ, walk with Christ, follow Christ. Then we have the outsiders, those who don't know Christ. They're still the lost, but they haven't been found. But I think there's another group. They're also outsiders, but I'd like to just... I've been struggling with this, by the way, to be honest. The others. It's the others. It's the Pharisees. It's the religious leaders. And by the way, if Jesus were to appear in 2021 today, we would have plenty of Pharisees. We'd have plenty of religious leaders. We'd have plenty of teachers of the law. You see, we have to understand that religion, it's all about the rules. It's about the laws. It's about doing the right thing. You don't break the rules. But Christianity is not meant to be a religion. It's meant to be a relationship. It's not about the rules. It's about the relationship. It's about repentance. It's about reconciliation. It's about rejoicing. It's about turning back to the Father and coming home. And the Father begs him, come home to me. I'm right here. Come home to me. But he doesn't. So what? Why in the world is this parable so important to us? Well, the bottom line is, we're all welcome home. You're welcome home to the Father. Anybody, anywhere, anytime is welcome to come home to the Father. This story is about sin and brokenness. It's about depravity. (laughs) But more than anything, it's about forgiveness. It's about the forgiveness of the Father. I think it's also about our forgiveness of others. Unchecked by the person of Jesus, sin is boundless. It will drag us into the darkness and it will kill us. This condition we have called sin, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's not the symptoms, it's a condition and it's called sin. It's choosing our own way, choosing to be separate from God. Forgiveness, however, omits our sin. No matter how terrible or deep or broken, The Father's forgiveness is limitless. Far exceeds the power of sin. Remember John chapter 1? The darkness will never overcome the light. The darkness will never overcome the light. God's forgiveness can come over, take over any sin. Think of the most vile human being ever in history. Did you know that that person could come home? Is that okay with you? Is it okay that the most vile human being you could ever think of is welcome home? Sometimes that's hard. But God calls us to forgiveness. Hmm. Now what? What do we do about this? We have to understand what our salvation really means. How do we obtain our salvation? First and foremost, God pursues us. He offers us forgiveness. He gives us grace before we've repented. He gives us grace before we've turned back to him. He offers us grace before we turn our face to him. God pursues us. He forgives us. 
But in man's repentance, humanity's repentance, we must turn to God. We deserve no credit. Please don't misunderstand me. We deserve no credit for our salvation. But we must receive the free gift of God, forgiveness through the person of Jesus Christ. So there are two, there are three things that we must do when we look at the application of this. Number one, we have to turn to the Father. We repent. We change our mind. We turn back to the Father. We turn our face to Him. And we rejoice. We celebrate when the lost are found. We celebrate when the lost are found. And in fact, finally, we also forgive. We repent. We rejoice. We forgive. That we would take the pain. That we would not give the pain. That we would always pursue the broken, the lost, the wounded. Yes, that we would pursue those who have hurt us. I don't want to do that. But I am called to do that. It goes against our human nature. But it is that nature that God is replacing with his nature. He's made us in his image. As we become like the person of Christ, the person of Jesus, we are more and more apt to forgive. So, we repent, we rejoice, we forgive. Everybody is welcome home. You are welcome home every day. Let us turn our face to the face of God. Let me pray. Lord, thanks for this time. Thanks for these people. Lord, I pray that we would turn back to you, not away from you. Lord, in fact we would understand that I am welcome home today. Everybody, everywhere, every time is welcome home. Lord, thank you for the kingdom of God. Lord, thank you for an open door. Thank you for a reconciler in the person of Jesus who took the pain. Lord, I pray that we would always come home to you. In the name of Christ, amen.